afternoon, evening, whatever, whenever you're listening to this. I'm Amanda. <laughs> I'm, I'm Denise. And you're listening to Disturbing Behaviors. What is so funny? <laughs> whatever time. Listen, all you insane, insane insomniacs. <laughs> Listen, we know you're listening to true crime while you're trying to go to sleep because it's relaxing. You are our people. <laughs> yes, you are listening to people who fall asleep to forensic files and, yeah. you know, murder yeah. mysteries. It's true crime. <laughs> <laughs> Midweek. We have found murder. our people. Yeah. We found our people. So today. We're going to be talking about the West Memphis Three, and as I'm sure the majority of you know, you know, obviously they're not guilty. However, no. this is a very interesting case, and we're still going to go ahead and cover it. And please excuse me while I go down a few rabbit holes today. I'm so, all about the rabbit holes. I am I, all about the rabbit holes because you know what? As I told you before, the only difference between a conspiracy and a reality is six months. Six months. All right. I'm going to take your word for that. <laughs> In this case, it was several years, 18 yeah. to be exact. So we're going to start with the crime. So on May 5th, 1993, three eight-year-old boys, Christopher Byers, Michael Moore, and Stevie Branch, they were all very good friends, went missing. So they were last seen around dinner time. They went for a bike ride. Supposed to be home around 6.30-ish. 6.30, they didn't come home. Parents start calling around to the friends' houses. No one had seen the boys. Finally, after a few more hours, I'm sorry? Just to, I want to give some people some context. Because back in the early 90s, you were home when the streetlights came on. So it was not uncommon for kids to go out for bike rides. Now, I know for people who are not alive in those er- the, the time frame when this happened, which is mind-boggling, but, or who are small children. In, well, I mean, my oldest son was born in 93, at the end of 93. And I can tell you, my kids were, you tell me where you're going, who's going to be there, I need a phone call. Because this was back in the day before cell phones. Mm-hmm. You didn't have a cell phone in 93. You might have had a, a pager, but let's be honest, back in the early 90s, if you were... If you were carrying a pager and you were not a doctor, You're yeah, a you were not. Yeah, I was gonna, you, you yeah. needed somebody like Spencer in your life. <laughs> yes, pagers. I mean, they became super popular. I remember when I was in high school. I remember mm-hmm. I had a pager around ninety six, ninety seven. Mm-hmm. That was when I got my first pager. Mm-hmm. So in ninety three, I don't think a lot of people really no. had them. No, 93, it was still very much like a medical personnel or you were bringing in some illegal substances substances. is really what it was. Yes. That's what we're going to call it. So, So, and your kids played outside. They went outside and they played and typically the kids, when they played outside, they were told one of two things. Either A, you get home when the streetlights come on, or B... You don't go farther than you can hear me yell. So when I yell for you to come home, you better get your butt home. I mean, even though this is way before 93 when this happened, when I grew up, and I was born in 72, and when I grew up in our neighborhood, we were a Gen X, completely feral. My friend my who lived a couple of streets, a couple of houses down to me, 
her mom had a cowbell. Oh, my God. <laughs> not a cow- <laughs> No, I'm sorry. Not a cowbell. Like a bitter bell, rather. One of those big bells. And literally, she would ring that. And it was so funny to see my friend, you know, my friend and her brothers, like, stop. I mean, <laughs> here's the thing. We were trained like Pavlovian dogs back then, okay? <laughs> if your parents had a code, you listen to that code because that bell would ring. And my parents were kind of lazy. So they were just like, when Beth family, when you hear the Beth yeah. bell, you need to get your ass home. So, like, they literally just piggybacked off of this. I mean, that's how hands-off <laughs> on parenting they were. Yeah. So we were literally, I mean, Pavlovian dogs, you hear the bell ring? And, I mean, you you're going back to, yeah, I mean, everybody watches, you know, 24 Hours of Christmas Story. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. Anyhow, but, you know, <laughs> where, where Ralphie's going, the bell rang. That was our parenting, okay? <laughs> it was like, the bell rang. <laughs> you're running from wherever the fuck you were, you know, whatever dead body you're poking with a stick or place you're not supposed to be, and you got your ass home, and your parents really didn't inter- interact. So when people in 2022 hear three eight-year-old boys went off on a bike ride without parents, and I can guarantee you they didn't have helmets or knee pads or anything when they went out, but that was the time frame. I think it's very important that when we look back on these crimes, we look at how society was in that era. And in 1993, it was still, I mean, it wasn't as a lawless land as it was for, like, Generation X. It was starting to get into that, you know, we need to know where you are, you know. But My mom never knew were, where I was. Oh, my mom still doesn't know where I am. So, you know, my mom never knew where the hell I was. Wait, neither did my I remember. I remember. My mom worked like Oh, my parents. Do you remember? You might be too young for this, but there was a commercial that went out, and and for fun, guys, go Google this. And it was this commercial. It was an honest-to-God commercial that ran on the television. It's ten, now 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? Oh, do you are? know where your children are? <laughs> I remember yes, that. Like, that commercial, <laughs> I remember I was maybe I think it was 17. PM, I, was like, I was like 16, 17, something like that. I call my dad drunk off my ass from a friend's house. And I'm like, it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your child is? And they're like, no. My dad goes, no, but you better stay wherever the fuck you're at. <laughs> I'm just saying I have a lot of examples as to how I turned out this way. I'm just saying. <laughs> but in 1993, for three Yes, I did. You're welcome. <laughs> hey, hey, if I could change other people's names when Spencer pops in, I'd call him Law Daddy just to fuck with him. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm always just with people. Name. I'm sorry. There you go. Change it. He's going to be Law Daddy. We just won't tell Law him. Daddy. Let's see how long it takes figure it out. <laughs> and none of y'all write us out, okay? <laughs> So, to to get back to what Amanda was saying, in 1993, in a rural town, which is where they were, it was common practice that your kids just went out and played. You knew who your kids' friends were. 
which was a, yeah. was something that I made sure that I knew who my kids' friends were when they were growing up and where they were going to be and who their parents are and what how to get a hold of the parents. Because that's something my parents didn't really bother with. But, I mean, they knew my best friend, Becky. They knew her. She was raised by grandparents. They knew her grandparents' phone number by heart. Because I assure you, every stupid thing that I did, Becky was right nearest <laughs> to me. So, yeah, they, they knew, like, the, the core friends. So, these families knew each other. And so, it was not uncommon practice that, hey, you know, your kids are in somebody's backyard playing or doing whatever, and little boys building forts, you know, playing army, you know, and you, so when they don't show up when they're supposed to, then you do start to call around, and you're, the expectation is, oh, you know, they got lost in their own little island of adventure, because you weren't sitting inside playing video games, you were not online, you were not making TikToks, you were not on, you know, picking fights on Facebook like I am. You're not doing any of that stuff. In, in 1993, you were playing with your friends. Playing outside. Out and played. Go outside, play. That's it. So, yeah. So, I don't yeah. want anybody to, to hear, like, oh, my God, the parents never should have. That's what they did back in 93, and especially in a small town, because you felt like you're You knew everybody. You knew right. everybody. And you knew when people moved in. Everybody knew everybody. If you're from a small town now, if you live in a small town now, guarantee you know all the gossip. You know all the tea. Yep. Even if you don't have internet, even if you're not on, like, Facebook or any of that stuff, you still know. You know when somebody got a new car or there's a different car in somebody's driveway. I don't even mm -hmm. live in a small... I live I live very rural, but my next-door neighbor, yeah, the one Ray tried to shoot, but yeah, we won't talk about that. It was an accident. Anyhow... He will sit there and tell Dave, oh, there's been this car over there. And Dave's like, yeah, we dropped somebody off at the airport and their car is sitting here because, that's, <laughs> you know, our friends, right. when our friends fly out, they come over here, they park their car, we take them to the airport because the airport's not, what, 20 minutes from us? And, yep. yeah. So, like, yeah, that, that, so I, <laughs> Dave had told me that Jerry gave him, like, a rundown of everything I had done one week. And I said, oh, so basically <laughs> what I'm hearing is, if I'm going to carry on an affair, I can't do it at home. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So, but All that right. happened. Everybody knew everybody. So, getting yeah. back. So, yes, it, it was All right. go home, go outside, play. So, this occurred in West Memphis, Arkansas, in the Robin Hood Hills area, which was a very small town. And as Denise was saying, everybody knew everybody. So, it was not uncommon for these boys to go out after dinner and ride their bikes around. So, at any rate, about 9 p.m. that night, the parents started getting worried, and they finally called the cops to report these boys as missing. So this was about 9 o'clock. Funny thing is, about 9, 10, 9, 11, there was a manager for a fast food restaurant at Bojangles who also called the cops about a suspicious man who had come into the restaurant. He was covered in blood. He went into the bathroom, and then he left. He was reported as being an African-American man. He was covered in blood. He was disoriented. He went into the ladies' room, and he left his sunglasses there. And then he came back out. For whatever reason, this was never really investigated any further. Oh, I know so, the reason. We'll get into that in a minute. We'll get into that, Okay. Spencer. All right. So the following day on May 6th, one of the deputies 
you know, there was a search party. They were out in the woods looking for these boys. A deputy by the name of Stephen, Steve Jones, he found a child's shoe floating in the canal on the edge of the woods. So he dispatched for some more officers. They start looking in the canal. About that time, Michael Moore, one of the missing boys, was found in the bottom of the canal. He was naked and his arms and legs had been tied together. I should probably say at this time that if you have a sensitive stomach, you probably should not eat anything during this episode. There are some very gruesome details that I'm going to be providing about these crimes. So don't eat anything. Yeah, this is a major yes. trigger warning Perfect. because Thank it you. does involve children. And, you know, we've, we've prefaced that at the beginning. While we are looking largely at the injustice that happened through this, at the end of the day, three innocent little children did lose their lives in a very gruesome manner. So, yes, just listen with caution because it's, as much as we listen to and investigate and research and discuss true crime and the behaviors and different diagnoses, you know, Amanda and I are friends in real life. We spend time in each other's homes. We're involved with each other's kids. We have spent a lot of time talking about this. This is still distressing. It is still distressing. Yes, very much. So after finding Michael Moore, deputies then found a stick kind of sticking out of the canal. When they lifted that stick out of the canal, they found a white t-shirt wrapped around that stick. Next, they found Stevie Branch, who also was naked and severely beaten. So this is going to preface the trigger warning. This is probably information you never wanted to know. But I'm going to give it to you anyway, because I had to read it, so now I have to share it. So in addition to being severely beaten and naked, Stevie Branch's scrotum had been removed, and the skin on his penis had been ripped off. Later, it was determined that it didn't really seem like an animal had done this. So they are pretty sure that whoever killed these boys had done this. Christopher Byers, the third boy, was found in a similar manner. Stevie Branch was by far the most mutilated. All three boys had been found naked. However, Stevie was the only one. The hell are you doing? Yeah. Um, it's important when we're, we talk about this, when we talk about the crime and we look at it, when you look at a crime and you look at the victim and you sit there and you say, what was it about this victim? In this case, I strongly believe that Terry Hobbs, who is the stepfather, is the person who did this crime. And I honestly think that he was targeting poor Stevie just because of the He was definitely the worst. He was the target child. To me, because of what happened to him, and Amanda is correct in where, you know, she said that the police did not feel that it was an animal. Animals typically do not, would not go after the genitalia. They would go after his eyes. They would go after his stomach. If there was any openings, they would go after that. That's not really a, I don't know how to say this without sounding completely crass or insensitive. And that's not how I mean it. They would not go after something that would not be a meal. That would not be what they're going to go after. When you look at 
when people get lost and that die in the woods and they say that scavengers have gotten bodies. It is their face, it is their extremities, such as their arms, hands, feet, where there's a joint. They really don't go after the genitalia because there's really not a lot of flesh there that they're looking for. They want your internal organs, they want your bones. They're not going to go after the scrotum of an eight-year-old child. I mean, he would have been out for days and days, like exposed for months before they would go after that. So I really do believe that based on how badly he was out of all of them, I really do. I do point the finger back to his stepdad. And I think, unfortunately, his friends were collateral damage. I also think that he might have done that just to take some pressure off of him. Like, well, it, it wasn't just mine. It was somebody else. Right. All right. So the police didn't find any blood anywhere near the scene, which stumped them at the time. It's my personal opinion that they were killed elsewhere and then transported to the secondary crime scene. But that's just me. So police were stumped by the fact that there's no blood anywhere to be found. Well, they weren't very bright throughout this entire investigation. Very true. So there was possible sexual assault on two of the three victims. Uh, Sources did not say which two of the three, just that at least two of the three had possible sexual assault. So as police were investigating, they did find a man by the name of Chris Morgan. Chris Morgan was 19 years old. He drove across an ice cream truck. And shortly after the murders, he moved to Oceanside, California which police found suspicious. Upon interrogation, Chris Morgan tells the cops that he may have blacked out and killed them. This didn't go any further. There was no other evidence to tie them or tie him to the murders, so they let him go. The police then realized that the murders occurred during a full moon, which means they must have been a ritual murder. Dun, dun, dun. So why did police believe this? Let's Go back a little bit. Kind of remember what I just said. So I'm going to talk a little bit now about the satanic panic of the 1980s and 90s. So in the 80s and 90s, this panic era in North America took place. It's now known as the satanic panic. And according to people.bcu.edu, quote, the satanic panic abuse scare was a moral panic that began in the 1980s in North America and lasted throughout much of the 90s, end quote. This was fueled by claims of Satan worship. It also included such elements as child and sexual abuse, human sacrifice, teen abduction rumors, animal mutilation, heavy metal, rock and horrorcore music, and violent and fantasy games. So based on all of this, this led to several criminal investigations based on little to no evidence of actual so-called satanic activity or sometimes even no criminal activity at all. So I disappeared again. Well, crap. All right. Let me try this last time. So. The satanic panic for the third time. According to people.bcu.edu, the satanic ritual abuse scare was a moral panic that began in the 1980s in North America and lasted throughout much of the 90s. Fueled by claims of Satan worship, it also included such elements as 
child and sexual abuse, human sacrifice, human abduction rumors, animal mutilation. I should have this memorized by now. Heavy metal, rock, and horrorcore music, violent, and fantasy games. This led to many criminal investigations based on little to no evidence of so-called satanic activity, or even sometimes no evidence of any criminal activity at all. There were talk shows in the 80s that Clark Cook in this panic, talk show hosts such as Oprah Winfrey, Geraldo, Sally Jesse Raphael, all did, yeah, all did shows on the satanic panic, which only fueled the fire. So in addition to this, one of the biggest issues that arose from this so-called satanic panic was allegations of sexual assault by children who were essentially coached to uncovering quote-unquote repressed memories. There was one case in California, um, a daycare, where almost every single one of the workers had been accused of sexually assaulting the children that were at the daycare. Defense attorneys got a hold of a tape in which the therapist that these a lot of these kids had been seeing was recorded actually coaching the children on what to say. So there were no repressed memories that they had uncovered. These were kids who had been coached to lie. And mm-hmm. it ruined the lives of so many people. And it wasn't a, even just this case. There's a case where a child's aunt had been coaching the child to lie and say that her father was sexually assaulting her. So this all stemmed from the so-called satanic panic and just, it ruined so many lives. Especially the majority who got involved and were uncovering these repressed memories, which here's what's going to piss me off. And yes, we're recording this for the third time because this platform keeps kicking us off. But this is what makes me angry because there is a real phenomenon that happens when if, if you've gone through some traumatic events and you get later on in life where you're mentally safe enough to start processing them and healing them and doing basically the shadow work of healing, there is something called emergence, which is basically trauma you that happened to you, but you forgot. Basically, your brain shielded you from it. So there are there are things in your mind that will happen that will come back up. But what this professional and what uh, and it wasn't just one professional. There were a lot of several. them who jumped on this, who were into this whole repressed, you know, memory thing. In fact, there was a well, there were books about it. There were books that mm-hmm. they they wrote. I think a lot of them have been pulled from the shelves after being debunked. Finally, but people. So what has happened is now there is this huge stain in therapy. And a lot of people who are already hesitant to enter into therapy, or even more so now, well, they're a bunch of quacks because look at the lives they ruined. And they didn't Mm -hmm. help anybody because they added trauma. For people whose job as a therapist, as a job, you were there to protect and to help. And you sat there Mm -hmm. and you, from the bottom of my heart, Fuck you. You should never be able to yep. practice again. I mean, completely blackballed. And I'm a social worker. Agreed. My degree is in social work. 
you're going to understand this when you start your your path to your your degree in social work. I have a high expectation for anybody who wants to call themselves a social worker. You want to work in human services. You want to work. The expectations I have for your behavior in a professional manner is really high. I am that Agreed. bitch. If you violate my patient's rights, I'm telling on you. I don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. You will not violate their rights. I take that very seriously. And I hate seeing a lot of bad people fuck it up for everybody else. But, yes, this pissed me off because they traumatized the people they were supposed to help. And they ruined families and lives and reputations yep. and livelihoods. Yeah, it was – the 90s were wild. <laughs> very wild. Yeah. I agree. So back to the case. As we're dealing with this satanic panic, and this was 1993 when this was still going on. So based on this information and the fact that, of course, the murder took place during a full moon. So there must have been clearly some satanic rituals going on here. There was a boy in the town who was kind of the epitome of what everyone thought a Satanist would be. He wore all black. He dyed his hair black. Um, he practiced different religions. He listened to heavy metal music. So police started looking, right? So police started looking at Damien Eccles. So Damien Eccles was 18 at the time. Like I said, he wore all black. He listened to Metallica. He practiced alternative religion. Yeah, he was really, he, we talked about that. He was on like a path to enlightenment. So he really thought that, you know, these alternate religions were, you know, he was just, he looked, he was dabbling into everything. Witchcraft, Satanism. and he viewed Well, he wasn't really dabbling path. into Satanism, no? though. Yeah. No, I mean, not, I, there's. Not the Satanism that everybody thinks is Satanism. Well, no, I know that. Worship, you know, not right. that. But that was what he was doing, but that's not what people were thinking. Right. So Damien had a best friend by the name of Jason Baldwin. They had another friend that they hung out with quite a bit. His name was Jesse Miss Kelly. So the police start looking at these three boys. So Damien, you know allegedly sucked the blood of another person and threatened his father while in juvenile detention. He did admit to practicing Wicca. Yeah, Wicca's witchcraft, however, it's not black magic. Wicca actually is like a, a nature religion. At any rate, Jason Baldwin was best friends with Damien Eccles. So when Damien was asked to come into the police station for an interview, he was wearing a pentagram. He told the police, that whoever did this crime was probably looking for a thrill kill. When he was asked who might have done this, he told investigators that blood and water held special significance in Wicca, that water symbolized a demonic force. Everyone has a demon inside them that they can control. Jason Miss Kelly actually We're confessed to, to the murder. That's what Damien told investigators, that everyone no, has I a demon inside them. And that I'm they can't be controlling control. it. Yeah, that they can't that you can control. control. I was yes. supposed to be controlling can. it, not letting them in the driver's seat. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Maybe some demons are more 
it is powerful than others. I don't know. I mean, I I'm gonna get a lot of hate mail for this, but I practice Wicca. Or I practice Wicca. I have never heard of a demon. There's nothing in the Wiccan religion that says that a demon lives inside all people. The Wiccan religion is all about nature. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's all about nature and holistic healing and. Yes. So during questioning, Jason Miss Kelly confessed and he linked all three of them to these murders. So I listened to Jesse Miss Kelly's confession and oh boy, did it piss me off. I think I told you about this last week, Denise. I got so angry. We also need to remind everybody at this point in time that Jesse Miss Kelly had an estimated IQ of 72, which put him in the developmentally disabled category. And he, Jesse Miss Kelly was on a third grade level. Please keep this in mind. So his confession was so obviously leading by the police during yeah. this intelli- interrogation. He told investigators that the boys were cut. There was no mention of cuts to the boys that I could find. He told investigators that the boys had been tied with a brown rope. They had not been tied with a brown rope. They had been tied with their own shoestrings. So, again, he had a very low IQ. And I, I don't remember how old Jesse was. I think that Jason was the youngest of the three. I think Jesse, Jesse was like was 17. 17. Yeah, he was 17. He should not have been questioned without at least a parent there. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have said this before. I will say it again. I don't care how innocent you are. Do not talk to the police without an attorney. Ever. They are not your friends. Ever, ever, ever. So anyway, so based on these very obviously false confessions, Police just run with it. They they gather what little to no evidence there was tying these boys to this crime, and they push forward. All three boys are charged with the murders of Stevie, Michael, and shit, what was the other kid's name? Stevie, Michael, and Christopher. So because Jesse had confessed, they decided to, I can't remember if he pled, I don't think he went to trial, but Jason and Damien, they had one trial. Jesse was completely separate. However, the prosecution's case was completely surrounded by Jesse's confession. So here's the problem when they tried to go to trial. Jesse refused to testify against Jason and Damien because he said that the confession was false. And he refused to repeat it. You're caught now. Good for him. So after losing Jesse's testimony, the police went and researched Jason and Damien's home to see if they could find any new evidence. So on February 28th, 1994, the trial of Jason Baldwin and Damien Eccles starts. The prosecution had a very weak case without Jesse's confession. First to testify was Brian Ridge. Um, He was the lead detective. He admitted to losing the blood scrapings 
So do you remember in the very beginning when I told you that the manager of Bojangles had called about the suspicious man who was covered in blood? So apparently cops did go back and collect blood scraping and grab the sunglasses. However, Brian Ridge admitted that they lost them. They lost those blood scrapings. Nobody ever did anything with the sunglasses. So next to testify is Dr. Frank Peretti. He testified that the genital mutilation on Christopher Byers had been done while he was still alive. And he had been mutilated with a serrated knife. So back to that little police search after they lost the testimony of Jason Miss Kelly or Jesse Miss Kelly. Well, Jay. Jesse they found Ms. a knife. Kelly, yes. They found a knife behind Jason Baldwin's house, a serrated knife. Do you know how many serrated knives I have in my kitchen? Anyway. I'm not even going to answer that. I plead the fifth because Spencer might yell at me. Yeah. <laughs> so Christopher Byers had bled to death, per Dr. Peretti, but there was no blood at the crime scene. So how did they explain this? So Michael Carson, okay, before I start that, how did they explain the absence? of blood from the crime scene. Oh, this is so, a good one. Uh, tell me a story, Mommy. Tell me a story. Yeah. Let me tell you a little story. The prosecution called a man by the name of Dr. Dale Griffiths. He's supposedly an expert on the occult. Mm. So he testified that based on his, his education, quote unquote, that the blood had been saved for another time or it had been consumed. Or it was used to bathe because blood is sacred in the occult. So basically, he said that these boys collected all of the blood from the victims. Either so drank it, bathed in it. Think, okay, question though. Was there evidence of any effanguination at, from the body? Were the bodies completely no. devoid of blood? Okay, so we're just talking out our ass as a... Yes. Listen, oh, I but can there's talk more. about my ass oh. all day long. How do I become oh, an expert? Yeah. Like, somebody tell me this. How do I? Because I can bullshit with the best of them. Oh, well, that's Spencer. <laughs> so. so oh, Daddy. <laughs> so, the defense asked Dr. Griffiths about his credentials. He admitted he had taken zero classes on the occult, and he had gotten his Ph.D., from an online school. So basically, He's remember, a this is 1990. Yeah, this is remember, not this is 1993. Yeah, that there was not. There were no have, internet universities. No. So you took a correspondence course. Basically, just, just to give you an no, understanding. Not even a correspondence course. He mailed in for a PhD. Basically, oh, they were okay. saying that this quote unquote university would just sell anybody a PhD that had the money. So this was like the people who couldn't get into medical school, who like who grades mm-hmm. were too low to get into medical school, and they went to Mexico and got their degree there. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yep. And it's terrifying because that degree is accepted here. That's another yeah. another. And you know what's worse? So the defense asked the judge to disregard Dr. Griffiths, Dr. quote unquote, Griffiths, as an expert, the judge denied this request, stating that you do not have to have a degree to be classified as an expert. Oh, I have a degree. Law daddy's got <laughs> All right. 
So, Michael Carson, who was a fellow inmate of Jason Baldwin, was called to testify, and he stated that Jason had admitted to him that he was guilty while they were incarcerated together. So, so once again, I'm going to go back to that police search after Jesse refused to testify. The police found a red rayon fiber on Christopher Byers' white and black polka dotted shirt. The prosecution claimed that it came from Jason Baldwin's house because they had found a red robe in the residence of Jason Baldwin. So the technician testified that they were microscopically similar, meaning she can't say definitively that it came from this robe, but it's close enough. So she also said it could have been secondary transfer, which means that someone from that home picked up the fiber and transferred it to the victim. So lastly, defense puts Damien on the stand. Damien believed, he testifies that he believed in Wicca. He stated that it's a close involvement in nature and that it worships a goddess as opposed to a god because women can give birth because the goddess is the mother of all mankind and men can't give birth. So he, he stated that he, he was not into Satanism. He was questioned about the so-called Satanism books that were found in his home. Damien stated that he got them from the library. They were selling them at the library for 10 cents apiece. That he didn't underline those passages, that they were un- underlined when he bought them. He said it looked like it was for some kind of a report because there were notes in the margins. So the state then asked about the occult. They asked Damien about Alistair Crawley. Alistair was one of the founders of the satanic church. Alistair Crawley believes in human sacrifice. Damien responded that he did not follow Alistair Crowley. He knew of him, but he didn't follow him, and he hadn't read any of his books. So the prosecutors claim that Damien knew more about the murders than he should have known. Damien says that everything he told the police was either public knowledge or that information was provided to him by the police. Shocking. We should also so, point out that Damien, Damien is 19, okay? Mm-hmm. And he was, he was not taking this very seriously because in his young mind, he didn't think he was going to be convicted because yeah, he, he didn't do it. Exactly. I would have that same expectation going in, but he kind of leaned into it. He admits he leaned into that, oh, I am the dark and the mystery, you know, that mm-hmm. I am the drama, you know, I... Because he's a 90-year-old child who did not do this. He did not commit this horrible crime, but he thought it was funny. And unfortunately, him leaning into that stereotype and him thinking it was funny cost him his life, basically years from his life on this. But yeah, yeah, he did admit to these things, and he didn't do anything. (laughs) Sorry. So last to testify for the defense was was an expert. In the field of microfibers, his name was Charles Lynch. He testified for the defense, and he said the roll or the robe did not match the fibers found on Christopher Byers. So now we've got two experts with conflicting testimonies. So in closing arguments, 
that were done on March 17, 1994, the prosecutor painted Damien as a monster without a soul to the jury. The defense urged the jury to focus on the facts because the facts were there was no evidence. On March 18th, it only took the jury one day to deliberate. They found Jason and Damien guilty. So Jason was sentenced to life without parole, and Damien was sentenced to death. Jesse, who took a plea, was also sentenced to life without parole. So in 1995, there was a HBO original called Paradise Law that aired. Based on this, there was a movement called Free the West Memphis Three. And this is when they got their name, the West Memphis Three. It told the story on the internet, which was in its infancy at the time. And the story went viral, which garnered the attention of several musicians, such as Metallica, Natalie Maines from the Dixie Chick. Just several musicians started noticing this case and provided their support. In 2001, there was a new law stating that inmates can request DNA testing if they think it will exonerate them. So the motion for testing was submitted. And then two years later, the motion was granted. The DNA, once it was tested, excluded all three boys. Mm-hmm. Shocker. There was also hair found in the shoelaces of the victims that didn't match any of the three defendants. Peter Jackson was a private investigator that was working for the West Memphis Three, hired world-renowned FBI profiler John Douglas. Douglas determined that the crimes were not satanic. Again, shocker. We all knew this. So now there's a new theory. They believed it was one of the family members of one of the victims. Ooh, like we were saying, Terry. Mm-hmm. So the private investigators started looking at Terry Hobbs, who was Stevie Branch's stepfather. The reason they started looking at him was because Hobbs was never questioned by the police. So okay. they questioned him. He told the private investigators that he was searching for the boys at 630, which the investigators found odd considering the boys hadn't even been reported missing until nine. So during that time, the private investigators took one of Hobbs' cigarettes during questioning. The DNA was a match to the hair found in the shoelaces. However, that's not enough to arrest him. Reason being, all three boys was at Terry Hobbs' house all the damn time easily could have been secondary transfer. So Hobbs has denied the murders during a formal investigation. And then in September 30th, 2010, there was a hearing to overturn the conviction. Supreme Court granted all three boys a new trial. The original trial judge who would have overheard the case, he was on the state Senate during this time, so he was not available for a new trial. So a new judge was assigned the case. Very shortly after that, the state called and offered all three boys an Alford plea. An Alford plea is when a defendant says, yes, I agree that the state has enough evidence to convict me, but I am not guilty. So based on this Alford plea, they all agreed because they were, you know, Damien's life was on the line. So they agreed to take this Alford plea 
so he would no longer be under a death sentence. After agreeing to this Alford plea, they were sentenced to time served, and they were free men. John Mark Byers was heard on an interview. He stated that the West Memphis Three are innocent, and he says that Terry Hobbs is the real killer. Have you, I mean, so, I know we're going to talk about the media portion of it, like the, the movies and everything, but did you happen to watch that one, Paradise Lost? Not yet. Have you seen that? Okay. No, I watched watched that one, that the first one. I watched that when it came out, and that enraged me back in in 95, 96 when it Mm -hmm. came out. That absolutely, I was stunned. I watched that, and as I'm watching it, that's when I said Terry Hobbs did it. His behavior. See, I don't care so much what you say. I care how you say it and your behavior. Because that's going to tell me a lot more than the words coming out of your mouth. When I watched that, I went, he did it. He did it. And there were other people there telling him, oh, you know, you did too. And they, what one point in time, somebody said to Terry Hobbs, people who were trying to protest and, and freeze the West, West Memphis Three, they say to him, why don't you do a bite test, bite analysis? Because poor little Stevie had a bite mark. I'm going to warn you, if you do watch that documentary, did you show pictures of the victims mm. so it is kind of disturbing to watch on that part but there's a fight on Stevie's face and this man when they ask him why don't you do that he pulls out his dentures and shows them to the crowd he had all of his teeth removed after the crime oh that's so disturbing it could be that he had you know you know it could be that he did have four dental structures and Mm -hmm. needed to have that done but it's just the timing of it and like how he was so confident like he could pull out his dentures like they're not going to match because I have dentures now like right now remember Ted Bundy they matched Ted Bundy's bite to one of his victims right so it is bite therapy bite matching is part of of that right however There was a personal DNA symbol that was found on the victim's penis. So the issue here is that that DNA sample ruled out the West Memphis Three, but it also ruled out Terry Hop. So police now believe, you know, there's a large truck stop near the woods where the boys were found. They're starting to wonder, was this a serial killer? Was this a truck driver? Right now, they have no clues. Jason Baldwin he started a nonprofit called Proclaim Justice and this fight for innocent people in prison. Jesse Miss Kelly is working in West Memphis and Damien is married with children. He's an author, a director, and an artist. They seem to be doing well right now. I just hope that these families can get justice and find the person who actually did these horrendous crimes. And that that person can be brought to justice. I still say Terry Hobbs has something to do with it. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, it's a possibility, but, you know, considering there's evidence of DNA of an yeah. unknown person, that's that's suspicious yeah. to me. Oh, yeah. This, we, so. We've already acknowledged that they, the police fucked this whole case, but... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Big time. So, that is the story of the West Memphis Three. Join us next week. And we'll be joined by Spencer Cordell. And we'll law talk daddy. about the laws and the psychology. <laughs> law daddy. <laughs> Behind these crimes. Don't forget 
to subscribe to our exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter at DBThePod. Follow us on Instagram, Disturbing Behaviors. Join our Facebook group, Disturbing Behaviors Discussion Group. Send us yeah, an send email an if you there. have an idea for a case. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Disturbing Behaviors the podcast at gmail.com. Hop onto Facebook, get into the group, and I will argue with you in the group. We can do that. Oh, yeah. You'll enjoy arguing with her. It's fun. Yeah. All right, guys. Have a good week. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye.